Well, hey guys. Some of you are excited to be here. Hey, I just want to say this. Um, <clears throat> it warms my heart to hear 100 plus uh, students uh, lifting high the name of Jesus, especially on that last song. So way to go, guys. Um, it's good to see you again. It's been a while. Pastor Cody only lets me come every now and then. Um, but it's good to be with you guys. Um, hope everybody's doing well. Great to see you. Um, I hear Pastor Cody's uh, suffering for Jesus down in Florida. That's what I heard. Um, we're the true saints here. It's freezing outside. Well, you guys have been making your way through the book of Ephesians. And um, uh, one of the things that you've been looking at um, is that uh, def- uh, Ephesians really divides into two sections. The first section is, is uh, what we've been calling salvation um, accomplished. It's all about... Um, our, um, what God has done in Christ and saving us through the blood um, of, of Christ being shed for us. And then the second section of Ephesians is, um, is really going to be about um, salvation applied. So it's about now that I'm in Christ, what does that actively look like and how do I live that out in my life? And um, as you guys are nearing the end of your semester, we're nearing the end of the first section um, and so now as, as Paul is looking back over all of this uh, Ephesians 1 and 2 and, and parts of 3 and um, looking at the salvation that God has accomplished in Christ, and he's looking forward now to what's coming and the salvation that is, is uh, applied to our everyday living for Christ, he's going to petition the Lord for help. He's going to go before the Lord and it leads him to worship and prayer before him. And uh, that's what we're going to look at tonight. So everybody grab your Bibles and uh, turn to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter, f- chapter 3, verse 14. Um, if you didn't bring your Bible tonight, um, look over at your neighbor and say, please, please, can I share with you? Um, or as uh, my two-year-old says, share, share, <laughs> share. So please, share. Um, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. We're going to be looking at six verses tonight. And... Um, uh, they are glorious. But before we do that, um, I'd like to introduce you to somebody. His name is uh, Louis Sear. You can see him there on the screen. He's a dashing guy, isn't he? Um, he's, on, he's on the screen with his family. Um, he is widely believed to have been the strongest man to ever live. He lived in the 1800s. Um, in fact, uh, when Louis Sear's uh, mom saw him, um, uh, she said... <laughs> She said that he should let his hair grow out so that he could look like Samson in the Bible. Um, I don't believe he was in Christ, but they at least knew that Samson was a strong man. Um, let me give you some examples of his strength, okay? At the age of 17, do we have any 17-year-olds in here? We got a few? Okay, we got a few 17-year-olds in here. All right, try this one on, people. Um, he beat the strongest man in Canada by lifting a 480-pound boulder above his shoulders. Easy peasy, that's right, easy peasy. <laughs> um, but it gets better. At, at 18, at 18, do we have any 18-year-olds in here? One? One that would admit it? Oh, there we go, we got some over here. Good, 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 good. 18-year-olds, okay, you 18-year-olds, try this one on. At 18, he lifted a fully grown horse weighing 1,500 pounds off the ground. I fact-checked this, all right? Just so you know, I fact-check it, and as, as best as I can tell, this is what most historians believe happened, okay? 
1,500 pounds. He could lift a 534-pound weight with one finger. They have pictures of this, guys. Pictures. He could push a train car up a hill. So think of a train and one of those cars, he could push it up a hill. I don't know how steep it was, okay? Um, but he, he could at least push it uphill. And yes, it was on wheels. He could also lift 18 grown men at one time on his back. They have a picture of it. He, um, there was 18 men on a flat table, and then he got under the table and got on all fours and then lifted it up on his back. 18 men. Incredible strength. Incredible strength. And I haven't even started to talk about how much this guy could eat. <laughs> I think most of us could say um, we're not as strong as that guy was. Most of us could say that. But what's interesting about that is that most of us live in our relationship with Christ like that. And we might not think it, we might not say it, um, but our actions indicate that. And the truth is that even as Christians, we're weak. We're weak. We're not strong. We're not strong. And try as we might, we're just not like those spiritual Samsons or those spiritual Louis Sears. Write this down. Christ-centered living begins with heart-strengthened adoration. I'll say it again. It's up on your screen. Christ-centered living begins with heart-strengthened adoration. So Ephesians 3, 14 to 19, reveals two strengthenings that have to occur for us to live to the praise of God's glory. How many strengthenings? Two. Two strengthenings that must occur for us to live to the praise of God's glory. You guys in Ephesians 3? You guys there? All right, we're going to look at it. Um, chapter 3, verse 14, follow along as I read. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Let's stop there. Um, look at the first three words of verse 14. It says, for this reason. Now we have to pause. We have to stop and we ask ourselves, for what reason? For what reason? What, what reason is leading Paul to uh, bow his knees before the Lord in prayer? Well, look over at chapter 3, verse 1. The first three words of verse 1 are, for this reason. You see, what, what Paul does here is, is, is he transitions from chapter 2 to chapter 3 and says, for this reason. And then he takes this, like, uh, call it divine tangent. He, he interrupts himself to go, oh yeah, you know what? The Holy Spirit's inspiring me to write something else. And then so through 2 through 13, that's what he's off on. And then he comes back. He gets his thought back. He goes back to his original thought in verse 14, for this reason. So if we're going to understand why he says that, then we need to look back at chapter 2. So flip back a page or so to, to Ephesians chapter 2 so that we can grab the context of what he's talking about here. And I'm going to read all 22 verses. All right? 
Pastor Doug said it well this morning. He said, we're big about the Bible around here, and uh, we want to hear what God has to say. So um, listen up as I, uh, as I read chapter 2, okay? Verse 1, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with Him, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places." So that in Christ, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man, new person, in place of the two, so that making peace, and so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near, for through him... We both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now, verse 14, for this reason. I think it becomes a little bit more clear now what Paul is meaning by for this reason. So for what reason? It's because of God's rich mercy and grace toward us. It's because of God's immeasurable love for us. Because of Christ's saving work on the cross. Because we are alive in Christ. Because we've been reconciled to Him and to one another. Because we are one in Christ. Because we are being built into a dwelling place for God. And then for those reasons, now let's look at what Paul does. Verse 14 again. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Now understand, um, the normal posture of prayer was to stand in Paul's day. It was similar to us. Like a lot of, most of us stand or we're sitting when we pray. Um, and that was kind of normal for them as well. Um, and so what Paul's doing here is something that's, that's countercultural. It's not something that was normal. Um, he, he bows before the Lord. There's nothing inherently wrong with standing and sitting before the Lord. But, and, but Paul looks back over verse, uh, chapters 1 and 2 
and it drives him to his face before the Lord. And there's, there's two things that are evident here about, about Paul in this that I think are really uh, helpful for us. See, um, Paul bows in humble submission. Paul bows in humble submission. He, he, calls the, he calls God the Father here. He calls him the Father. And now, the Father um, is, is a, a personal, it's an intimate term. We don't really use that. Be, we, we use dad. Some of us say father. But most of us are like, hey, dad. Um, but, but father was an intimate term, but it's even more than that. Um, and, and Paul's using it also in, in, in this way. He's saying um, he, he is using it to imply that he is the creator, that God is the creator and caretaker of all that exists, of all that exists. So what, what Paul is acknowledging here is that God is supreme. He reigns over all. And Paul goes, I better get low. I better get on my knees before him. Humble submission. Not my will, thy will. There's something else, too, that, that um, reveals about Paul's humility here, and it's his humble desperation. There's just something about when we go down on our faces before the Lord, we are recognizing that we are desperate. That if God doesn't show up in our lives, that if God doesn't help, that if God doesn't, doesn't show himself magnificent and glorious in our lives, then our, our lives are for naught. And so what does Paul do? He goes, down on his face in humble desperation. He's like, oh Lord, my Father, creator of all and caretaker of all, if you stop caring for us, if you stop taking care of us, then everything's a bust. So Paul shows humble submission and humble desperation here. And so here's a question. Is your life characterized by submission to and desperation for the Lord? Maybe we say it this way. When's the last time you went face down before the Lord? When's the last time we bowed our knees and faces to the ground because of who God is? Hey, listen, guys. When the truth of Ephesians chapter 2 really hits you, when it really hits you, it's going to drive you to your knees. It's going to drive you to your knees. Sometimes we just need to get low before God. So why does Paul bow in humility? Um, let's pick up in, at the end of, uh, or let's pick up in 14 and we'll go through 16 here. For this reason I bow my knees before the Lord, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. That means that, means that, uh, that God has named everyone. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. And here's the first requirement for Christ-centered living. And it is that um, Christ-centered living um, is required um, or begins when our hearts are strengthened by God's power. When our hearts are strengthened by God's power. Uh, he says here in verse, in verse 16 that according to the riches of God's glory. What, what is God's glory? When we think of God's glory, sometimes we think of the Old Testament and um, this bright, shining light. And certainly that's part of God's glory. But what, what I think it, it, Paul is talking about here is, is um, his, the, uh, God's glory is his splendor, his majesty, his beauty. And this is the same glory that's on display in Ephesians 1 and 2. So, does God look majestic and beautiful in Ephesians 1 through 2? Absolutely, He does. 
Absolutely his, he does. God's glory is all over Ephesians 1 and 2. And so Paul is saying that according to that glory, that splendor, that beauty, that majesty, may God grant you, us, to be strengthened with power. Notice, it's not us, it's not ourselves who does the strengthening. The strengthening is from God. It's a divine work. It's not a human work. And in this, we begin to see um, um, more and more about what um, Paul is saying in regards to being strengthened by God's power. Here's one aspect of that. Um, The Holy Spirit mediates our inner strength. Look again at verse 16. That according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. So we are, we are strengthened with power through His Spirit. It means that the Holy Spirit is the agent. He's, a, he's the agent bringing the power. So God the Father is the one who's directing the power, and the Holy Spirit is the one who is doing the empowering. Notice also that um, this is not a, a physical strength. It's really easy for us to go all Louis Sear at this point. When we, see, when we hear the word strength, when we hear the word power, it's like we connect that to physical strength and physical power, and that's not what's going on here. And, and Paul does not leave us in doubt because he says, power through his spirit in your inner being. In your inner being. Uh, you keep reading, and we'll get to it here in a second. In verse 17, it says, dwell in your hearts. Inner being, hearts, same thing. So the question is, what is the heart? Um, What's Paul talking about here when he mentions inner being or any inner heart or inner person and heart? The heart is like the control center of our thinking, of our intentions, our emotions, and our actions. Think of it this way. It's like a video game controller um, when playing games like Fortnite. I'm not completely um, culturally separated um, I've never played the game. But it's like a video game controller in games like uh, controlling things like um, games like Fortnite. So the, there's, a, uh, there's a figure on the TV screen, and there's a controller, and that figure does whatever the controller, the video game controller, says to do. Um, that's kind of like our hearts. Our hearts are like those video game controllers. Whatever our heart is doing is what we're doing. Think about the, the implication of this. Think about this, guys. Paul is not praying that we would be strengthened with physical strength. He's praying something even better. He's saying, um, I'm praying that you would be strengthened by God through the Spirit in your heart. Because if the heart is the control center, if it's the video game controller of who we are, then if we're strengthened there, think about how it... How it um, how it applies and impacts the rest of who we are. And Paul is praying that God's power would be aimed at that, at our hearts. And yet, how many times do we try to live our lives in our own strength? How many times do we just try to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and just try to grit our way through it and get our way through it? And see, right now, in your lives, at your age, um, you probably, most of you are probably feeling pretty invincible. I, I know I did when I was that age. I never got injured. I played high school sports all the way through uh, graduation. I can't remember a time where I was injured. 
or at least injured for very long, I felt invincible. I could, I could run really fast. And I remember the time, I remember the time that um, um, I was doing youth ministry and um, um, I had this moment where I was like these like older guys. So like these, these guys over here, right? Um, and and uh, we were going to, not the same guys, but guys less age. And they were like, hey, hey, Chris, let's go. Let's race. Let's race like a hundred yard dash. I was like, all right, all right. Yeah, I got this. It's no problem. And I was like in my mid-20s at the time. Um, and uh, I remember we took off. And, and I always seemed to have like this, this like sixth gear. And all of a sudden, I didn't have it anymore. And I got beat. I got beat. Um, I didn't feel invincible anymore. But at your age, you tend to feel invincible. You're told that the best years are ahead of you. And so the temptation then is... Um, to think that living a Christ-centered life can be done in your own strength. You guys, let me just tell you, if you decide today to live in His strength, start developing a habit of relying on His power, then you're going to save yourself so much heartache. I'm speaking from experience, and I'm speaking as a pastor. Here's another aspect. Christ is the source of our inner strength. Christ is the source of our inner strength. Look at verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Christ may dwell. Dwell. Uh, this word dwell is a strong word. Um, Paul could have used a different word for dwell, um, but he used this particular word, and it's strong. Um, and the reason he's doing that is because it, um, it doesn't just mean inhabit. It doesn't just mean inhabit. It also has this idea of possessing and ruling. So it's kind of like uh, somebody who moves into this um, a dilapidated house or uh, run down house, and they begin to um, slowly transform the house into this beautiful home. And when that happens, over this time, the house begins to characterize the person living in it. It begins to kind of reflect the character of the person who's been um, putting the house in order, who's been repairing that. Kayla and Luke understand that completely. Um, and so um, that's the idea behind this word dwell. And so Christ, him, uh, Paul is saying here, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts, so that Christ may have possession and rule over your hearts. Christ is the divine power. Christ is the power. You want to check me on that? Go, go right down uh, 1 Corinthians 1.24. We won't cover that here, but you can go check that out later. Christ is our strength. And by virtue of His indwelling us, the, Holy, the, the power that we receive is His power. Um, now, this Holy Spirit that's indwelling believers that we see in verse 16, um, and this uh, uh, indwelling that we see of, of Christ, they're not two separate things. They're one and the same. They're one and the same. Okay? They're one and the same. So when, when, the, when the scriptures talk about Christ in us, we know that it's also talking about the Holy Spirit indwelling us. Okay? The Holy Spirit indwelling us. Because Christ is the power. And the Holy Spirit is the agent who is directing the power, who is empowering. Okay? Does that make sense? Kind of? Sort of think about it. Um, the Holy Spirit is like our divine bond, like the divine bond of our union with Christ. It's really sweet. It's really sweet. Now, don't miss this um, either. God the Father grants the inner power. God the Son is the inner power. And God the Spirit mediates the inner power. The whole Trinity is involved in this, guys. The whole Trinity. 
here's the uh, the third aspect because you might be asking, okay, so how do I like how am I strengthened? How uh, how do I receive power? I don't because I don't really feel that inside me right now. Uh, That's a good question. Here it is. Faith accesses our inner strength. Faith accesses our inner strength. Um, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. What is faith? Faith is believing that God said what God says, regardless of our situation, trusting that God is going to do what he promises to do. That's faith. So in other words, Christ powerfully indwells us because we believe in what he has said and done. And when this happens, a supernatural strengthening in our hearts occurs, and we begin to adore God more and more and more. And as we adore God more and more and more, our faith gets stronger. Our faith grows. You guys remember Abraham? You guys remember him? Um, Abraham, um, the Bible says that uh, in Romans chapter 4, that Abraham um, grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Don't miss that. As he adored God more and more, he grew strong in his faith. And so what this means is that as we adore God for who he is and what he's done, we too grow strong in our faith. So let me ask you, how about you? Where's your faith right now? Do you have faith in Christ? Do you have faith in Christ? Do you have faith in yourself? Do you have faith in yourself? Notice Paul doesn't say that our faith has to be strong. Nowhere does that say here that we have to have strong faith in order to see the strengthening power um, of Christ at work in our hearts. So maybe your faith's weak right now. Maybe your faith's weak right now. That's okay. It's okay. Adore God and your faith will grow. So we see that the the first requirement for Christ-centered living is that our hearts must be strengthened by God's power. Here's the second requirement. The second one is for uh, for Christ-centered living, we must have our hearts strengthened to grasp the love of Christ. Strengthened to grasp the love of Christ. Look at verses uh, uh, 17 and 18. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. I mean, oh my goodness, guys, there are so many implications of Christ's love on this. Uh, Let's look at a few of them. The first one is this. The love of Christ is foundational. It's foundational. Um, It's rooted and grounded in love. What this means is that that we are already, if we're in Christ, and then because we're in Christ, we have already been rooted like like planted trees, uh, like trees, like we're trees, and our roots are planted in the soil, and guess what the soil is? It's Christ's love. Or um, the, the other metaphor is this, uh, we're grounded. It's this foundation. It's this idea of a, of, a, of a foundation. And guess what this foundation is connected to? The love of Christ. So that's the first implication. Here's another one. The love of Christ is immeasurable. It's immeasurable. In verse 18, he says, may, So that you may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. So what do we need to understand? What do we need to grasp? Why do we need to be strengthened to grasp this? Um, It's because we we have to try to wrap our minds around what the height, depth, and breadth, and length of Christ's love is. He wants us to know the full measure of Christ's love. But here's the thing. Christ's love is immeasurable. It's immeasurable. It's infinite. Um, Let let me see if I can illustrate this really quickly. 
Colby, let me ask, let me ask you to have, uh, help me out here a second. So I have this tape measure here. It's, um, it's a 30-foot long tape measure. So you just kind of go out that way a little bit. And let's just take it all the way out as far as we can. There we go. 30 feet right there. 30 feet. That's pretty long. It's pretty long. Christ's love is like the length of this tape measure, but going on and on and on and on and on and on. It never ends. And, and I don't know if you guys can see this, but there's like little mark, markings here. There's little lines. See those little lines? We're like that line, one of these lines. We're like one of these lines. Christ's love is so marvelous, so grand, that we could go on and on and on and never fully plumb the depths of it. But here's the cool thing. This is just length. We would need three more tape measures because we would have to have the, the height and the depth and the width as well. And now imagine those things going on and on and on and on and on forever and ever and ever. That's Christ's love. Paul wants us to be strengthened so that we can begin to grasp that love. It's infinite. It goes on and on and on and on. And here's the point. We, we can't obviously measure God's love with a tape measure. It, it's just, just a word picture to try to help us grasp a really difficult concept. And we begin to see Christ's love in this way. Become so grand, so marvelous, so wonderful, so great. All that we can do is spend our lives exploring the height, depth, width, breadth of Christ's love for us. That's what we're going to do in eternity. It won't be boring. Infinity means that you're never getting to the end. So we will forever get to explore Christ's love for us. And here's the really cool part. Paul's praying that we would be strengthened to do, start doing that now, before we get to heaven. Here's the third implication. The love of Christ is incomprehensible. Look at 19. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Uh, this word know is not really just a, an intellectual um, understanding. Um, many people have that intellectual grasp of God's um, God's love, but, but they're not saved. Um, what's really, uh, in addition to this, what it really means is, is it's also relational and experiential understanding. So when my parents would tell me that, I was, uh, uh, that they loved me as a child, that's intellectual understanding. But when my parents did loving things for me, like um, fed me, clothed me, protected me, well, then I came to understand their love for me in a little bit different way. That's relational and experiential. So Paul is asking that we come to comprehend this incomprehensible truth. And we can't do it in our own strength. So here, here's the question you may be thinking. Um, can you help us understand what this looks like practically? Um, let me just say it this way. Explore the depths of Christ's love. Explore it. Ask God to give you the strength to understand. Read, study, meditate on the Bible. 
You can see Christ's love almost on every page. Lose yourself in the good news of Jesus. All right, let's, let's finish this up. Look at uh, the last part of verse 19. I'm going to start in the uh, first part. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So what's the result of being strengthened by God's power and being strengthened to grasp Christ's love for us? Is this, is that we are filled with all the fullness of God. This doesn't mean that we become God. It doesn't mean that at all. Instead, it means that we, we grow and we mature in Him. We begin to look more and more like the one who is residing in us. And our lives are filled with worship of Christ. God wants us to have hearts that are fully centered on Christ so that every aspect of our lives changes. I'm out of time, but I've got to cover this one thing. This is so cool, guys. Um, Look over at chapter 2, verse 22. I didn't even see this before studying for this, okay? So this is the Lord working through me, and I have to share it with you guys. So you're the beneficiaries of the Lord working in my own heart. This is so cool. In, in verse 22, it says, In Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So, so Paul is saying that we are temples. We're in Christ. We are temples, and God is building us as temples And then look over in verse 19, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. He is praying that God would actually fill our temples with God's glory. No empty temples. That's what he's saying. No empty temples. He is praying that the manifest presence of the Lord would be residing in our hearts, the temples. It's so cool. And why is that important? Because what you're going to see next semester, when you start Ephesians 4 and and going through the rest of the book and salvation applied, what you're going to see is that that what Paul tells us to, what what Christ-centered living looks like, and he tells us and exhorts us to go do it, is impossible to do it without him. It's impossible to do it, um, and we will not look like that if we do not have heart-strengthened adoration for Christ. That's why it's important. That's why it's important. So why does Paul pray for us to be strengthened? To be strengthened in power and knowledge of Christ's love in our hearts? It's because Christ-centered living begins with heart-strengthened adoration. That's where it begins. If you're in Christ and you're wondering why you struggle so mightily with Christ-centered living, then it might be because you're, you don't have heart strength and adoration. That's why I struggle. It might be that you're worshiping something or someone else. So Christ-centered living happens when our hearts are strengthened by God's power and our hearts are strengthened to grasp the love of Christ. Here's how I think I want to finish this evening. Um, worship team can kind of make their way up. Um, I'm going to finish in prayer, um, and we're going to do something a bit unique here. Um, I think it would be appropriate for us as a whole group to bow our knees together before the Lord and humbly ask Him to do exactly what Paul has prayed. To humbly ask Him to strengthen our hearts with His power and the knowledge of Christ's 
unfathomable love. So I'm going to pray this prayer over us all. I'm not Paul. Um, but we need, to, we, we need to humble ourselves before the Lord and go before Him. And then we're going to go ahead and stand and sing together after that. So if you're, if you're physically able, I want everybody, let's all of us get on our knees before the Lord. I'm going to pray this prayer verbatim. Let's pray. For this reason, we kneel before you, Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. We pray that according to the wealth of your glory, you may grant us to be strengthened with power through your Spirit, in our inner person. That Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith, so that because we have been rooted and grounded in love, we may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and thus to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, so that we may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Oh God, hear our prayer. This is our desperation. This is our need. Meet with us now, Lord. Strengthen us to the praise of your glory. In Christ's name, amen.